This is Finding Doe. So we went missing 20 years ago. One of the founders of the Doe Network, Matthews gives us a front row seat to the mystery that has been his life for the past 20 years. He was the 10th case entered into NamUs. Working alongside police departments and creating legislation, Matthews continues to work with NamUs, a database connecting thousands of families to the deceased. He's my age, exactly, so I can imagine I've walked the places he's walked. Continuing the story, a case from East Tennessee that Matthews keeps coming back to. Will my baby be buried beside of me? Episode 3. Did he want to just live a life of a transient? Who is Charlie? I'm afraid that he is deceased and his body's just not been found. Law enforcement has speculation as to what happened to Charlie and why he has been missing for the last two decades. And he was in Oak Ridge. A friend actually said he took him and dropped him off the state line between Tennessee and Georgia. The thought was maybe he was traveling. Law enforcement has speculated over the years that maybe he's alive and wanted to detach from the family. I'm not sure about that. She did tell me that she thought Charlie was homosexual and that was probably a source of a lot of his pain and fear and that could even involve hate crimes now. You never know, especially 20 years ago. There's a lot of things that could have happened to Charlie. Charlie's mother brought Matthews one of his very first cases, one of the longest working cases in the Doe Network. He's one of the few cases that I hand entered into NamUs, so he's one of the very first, and now there's thousands and thousands. When entering his case by hand, Matthews realized that Charlie was his exact age, that he could be living his life if he was alive somewhere. You know, after putting it in there and seeing he was my age and it just makes it a little more personal, I met his mother at one of the NamUs events that we held in that area, and uh, she walked right up to me and was telling me about Charlie and what it meant to her. And, of course, I could tell that she just had such a loving look in her eyes. Heartbreak and me being the same age as him, I can imagine that you could be my son. If he was alive, he would be your age, and he might have a family like you do. He had the case. And then he had to use his research to put together how to find the missing man and help a grieving mother. So I think the news articles were probably around 2006 and 7 that I first noticed the case and then entered them into NamUs and then working to develop the case by like getting family reference samples of DNA from the family, meeting her and understanding in a way that you don't always get to do with missing persons, family members. I don't care what happens to me, they can bury me in a coffee can. She said, I need to make sure that he's going to be there. A friendship grew. During one of their meetings, she had a particular favor, one that some may think is something that cannot be done. What if she dies before Charlie is found and identified? And I met her several times, and one time she had a very personal request, and she took me to the grave where she put up a stone for Charlie beside her and Charlie's father. And she said, I don't know how far I can go with this journey. And she wanted me to promise that I would make sure that they would bury him there. And you can't have a lot of control over but I can make sure that they know that was the intention. I think it would be automatic for the most part if his remains are found, but I think she just wanted the extra assurance that somebody would be there to say, just so you know, if I'm alive and well and able to do it, of course, his remains are found, I will let them know that this is what his mother told me. This was her intention, just so it won't be forgotten or overlooked. Her day-to-day -day life changed drastically since the loss of her son. She remembers the day it happened and how it reflects on her daily activities. So, you know, she makes a missing persons report, follow-up calls, nothing, not heard anything. 
They go through the process of maybe he's alive and then it gets to the point where maybe he's not alive and then circumstances and law enforcement are busy with other things. It's kind of hard. A male, 30-year-old male is, is not the highest priority, especially if they think there's some circumstances that he wanted to be away. He was believed to be mentally ill, and I'm not sure the diagnosis of it, but you know, like an anxiety depression. And that does heighten the danger quite a bit. Did he want to be on the streets to be homeless? Did he just disappear and change his identity? Everything's possible, but I don't think he would have done this to his mom and dad. I think they were close enough that he wouldn't have allowed this. To her age now, the past 21 years, has been just agony, but she's still been a mother to him. And I reminded her of that. I said, you're still very much a mother to him, because look at all these things that you're doing, trying to resolve it. The mystery still lies with the individual that dropped him off at the Georgia state border. How many questions could be answered if they would speak out about how much they know? I think the person that dropped him off probably had a lot more knowledge. And people are, for whatever reason, they won't say more. That it doesn't necessarily mean they're guilty of anything. It's just that they don't want to get involved. And I've seen so many cases where a person's really talkative at first, like they're the last person that's seen this person, and they can describe. And then when law enforcement gets into it, their memory just starts to fade out because they don't want to be involved in something that might be dangerous. Officials have speculated whether or not Charlie chose this life if he decided he was going to go away and not be found by anyone. The fact that he did have some type of mental illness and was very dependent on his family, I don't see him making that leap unless something very traumatic happened that we don't know about. Charlie would wander from time to time, but he always came back. So I think he was a person that's very vulnerable. And often law enforcement do see a 31-year male as not a person that's in danger. Every lead keeps coming back to the drop-off at the Georgia state line. What was set up to happen there? The DNA is collected, but a body is not. Well, there was the Georgia connection. There was somebody that was a person of interest at one point in his case. And I think keeping looking at that, you know, I look in Georgia for remains that could be his. I look to see if the biometrics are similar to compare. Do we have anything that we could compare? DNA, DNA, dental, dental, fingerprint, fingerprint. I always look at new entries that come into NamUs, especially from Georgia and Alabama, since it was in that direction. And of course, Tennessee. I think there's enough information in Tennessee. He would be kind of obvious. There have been times that she said, I saw this. Can we look at it? And you do and you do a comparison, make an exclusion in the database. That's what we have to keep doing that, but I know she's got to be miserably tired. But Matthews isn't done trying to locate Charlie, finding him dead or alive. A call out to try to locate his DNA as a John Doe unclaimed. I would like to do something media-wise that puts a huge focus on it and a call out to law enforcement. If there's remains that have not been entered into the NamUs database, potentially him, could we please get them in there? Use him as an example. This person could be in your evidence room. And the sense of urgency is mom and dad can have a piece of that just to know that something happens. But every time we do this in the media, I know it gets her hopes up. It's good to have your hopes up. I mean, when you get your hopes up, you feel really good. But if you don't get anything out of it, you know, it's, it's just incredible highs and lows. Tennessee is one of the best in the nation for using resources for their missing John and Jane Doe's. But it doesn't stop there. All authorities must be aware of the tools they have. I've probably traveled back and forth to Knoxville three or four times. Specifically, I would use him as an example if we did do any training as one of the earliest cases entered into NamUs, and that's our Tennessee pride is we got him in there. We're here from the beginning. And I want that to instill a sense of pride on law enforcement in the area. Like, we're very current in a national database. Tennessee is very close up to the front end of it. All it could take is one person to say that they saw Charlie for this case to be solved and a family's agony over their missing son to be put to a halt. 
I just think Charlie's case is potentially solvable if we ask and beg people to pay attention and if anything that reminds them of it, could he be alive somewhere? If he is alive, a person seems familiar to this case or a neighbor that might have looked like him could even be in a nursing home. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of things. So I'm hoping that people will just, and I'll beg you, please, if you see something that you think could be connected, you know something, you've heard something. After over two decades, those involved in the case are starting to think the worst has happened and that no one will find Charlie alive. I do hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm proven wrong, but I just don't feel like Charlie's alive. Unless something is very mentally drastically wrong with him, that he is just totally a different person. I don't think he would have allowed his parents to go through this. I really don't. It is now a waiting game, waiting to react to a tip that might never come for Charlie's family. There's nothing currently other than his DNAs and CODAs. They've got all the records that they could possibly find for his identification, so I think they've done everything. They checked every box they possibly could and name us. I think now it's just waiting for something to pop up. Accepting the likelihood that she will never see her son again, Charlie's mom is readying the family graves if a body is recovered. I do think she's accepted the fact that the likelihood that he's deceased. I do think that she understands that that's probably going to happen, and I think that's when she started fixating on making sure that he was buried there beside her. She transitioned from live recovery or finding his remains and burying them by herself to can this happen after I'm gone. I think as she's aged and progressed, she's realized. And I think in 2016, they closed out his estate. So that was probably the point where the legal acceptance of he had passed away. So there was a notification in the papers to any debtors in 2016. So that was around the time that she showed me the grave. Charlie's family will never stop dreaming for the best possible outcome. I just love for her to see him buried before she dies. The Doe Network and NamUs gave a mother continued hope that one day she will locate her son or that he will finally have the opportunity to rest beside her. With Todd Matthews in Livingston, I'm Chrissy Jones, Middle Tennessee News.